2: And a very good morning to you as we welcome you along to the programme. John, John Paul is still out. Bernie is taking your calls at 1850 333 103. Anything you want to share with us we would love to hear from you. Also make a note of the text and WhatsApp number 0862 103 103 because you're certainly going to need that number later on if you would like to win one a lovely prize that we're giving away every day this week, and It is a special cheese fondue night. It's the Cosy Cafe on Church Square in Kinsale they're holding cheese fondue nights uh, across October November and December and they've set aside a special night on Sunday the 3rd of November where you if you win the prize you and four of your friends will be invited along to this cheese fondue night and we're looking for your cheesiest jokes okay so get working on that and we will open the text and WhatsApp lines but not until after 12 okay so don't send in your joke before that because it might get lost we won't get to see it, and I won't get judged, and I mightn't win you the prize. So we'll do that a little bit later on. But put your thinking caps on. We had some very funny jokes yesterday. Let's see if we can have some funny jokes again uh, today. Now, uh, before we get to what's coming up on the program, yesterday we were speaking about the sinkhole that had appeared in Alahese, and a lot of people quite taken aback uh, by what had happened and the size of the hole. I think more than anything, it's an old mind, mine shaft that appears to have collapsed but i think what was most frightening about this particular sinkhole was the fact that it took part of the road with it and you know lots of local people were saying that older people in the area knew where these knew where these mines were and were very careful about certain roads and they wouldn't even put the horse and trap on a certain road and of course that kind of knowledge dies with a lot of the older folk and then trucks and cars are travelling on roads that were never designed for trucks and cars and we're not too sure of what's going on under the ground. Anyway, Cork County Council within the last hour have issued a re- press release to the media that uh, speaks about the large deep sinkhole that developed on the public road south of Alighys on the Bear Peninsula. The road has been closed to the public and newspapers advertisements have notified the public about this emergency closure and they will I don't know if they've been published yet or they're going to be published now it appears according to Cork County Council that the sinkhole is linked to the collapse of a mine shaft while the road has been closed and barriers have been erected to prevent access to the area there is the potential that this hole will become further enlarged given the unknown ground conditions here Therefore, Cork County Council are urging vigilance and advises that caution should be exercised by all in this area. Cork County Council is monitoring the situation. Staff are currently endeavouring to ascertain contact information for the owners of the mine Be interesting to find out who's claiming ownership of the mine. Separately, Cork County Council have asked the Exploration and Mining Division of the Department of Communications, Climate Action and uh, Environment to undertake a survey of the area as a matter of urgency to determine the extent of the undermining and the potential risk of further collapse in this area and further information will be issued as the situation develops. But Cork County Council are urging all members of the public not to go near the sinkhole and to not to go beyond the safety uh, barriers and all we can do is reiterate those words from Cork County Council because you know what's going to happen, particularly at the weekend. You're going to have the people out, everybody wanting to have a selfie. Wouldn't it be great to have a selfie with the sinkhole? If you're planning on having a selfie with the sinkhole, please stay within the safety barriers. Do not go inside the safety barriers. Stay outside of them. They've been put there for your own uh, safety. But... I wonder how quickly the Exploration and Mining Division of the Department of of the Environment will get working on this because they, they're right, Cork County Council are right, it is a matter of urgency because when we were talking about it yesterday with local community activist Finbar Harrington, nobody seems to definitively know where these old mines are nobody seems to have a map that can pinpoint exactly where the mines are because we were talking about mining that happened back in the 1800s and then obviously the mining that happened that Finbar spoke about from mid-1950s finishing in 1962. There'll still be local people alive who will remember exactly where those mines are so people will have local knowledge on those but the ones that happened back in the 1800s because there doesn't seem to be any detailed maps, we need to now get the detail of that. I was hoping yesterday when we were speaking about the geological survey that they might have had some information because that low-flying plane was flying over West Cork earlier on this year and back last year and they certainly would have gone over the Aliys area but unfortunately, the type of instruments that they have on board and the type of information they are compiling doesn't show where these empty mines are, which is a bit unfortunate, but something needs to be done. And as a matter of urgency, we do. And for the people living in those areas and people who travel on those roads, we need to find out for sure where the mines are and if there is any potential risk of further collapse in the area. And is there anything that can be done? to reinforce roads, is it a case that we may have to close off roads to heavy vehicles for example but good to know the Cork County Council are on top of it and as they say they will bring us any information as it comes to hand so thanks Amelia uh, to Cork County Council for that and I want to give, if I can find it here somewhere, a quick mention to a lovely email that I got in yesterday and I just ran out of time and didn't get around uh, to it and it was it's just to give a quick mention to Dara O'Shea from Dunamore, because he is close to making €15,000 for cancer research. Now, you may remember Dara joined us back in September in advance of a shave or dye that he was doing in his local pub in Dunamore. And he was doing it on the 14th of September. And the 14th of September, Just gone was an important day for him because it marked the one-year anniversary to the day when he got the all-clear from cancer. Back in March of 2018, he was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. He had six rounds of chemotherapy, and then he got the all-clear on the 14th of September last year. So he decided he wanted to do something to mark both the dates, both the date that he was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, March. 31st and the date that he got the all clear the 14th so we decided this year on the 31st of March a year later what a difference a year can make he had his last haircut and he said right that's it I'm going to let it grow until September the 14th marking the six months but a year on and how different the year on uh, was for young uh, Dara and then he had this big shaver die in Pat Barry's in Dunamore on the fourteenth, and he was looking for people to get involved and to help him out and to donate. And obviously, he's a very, very popular young man because he set up a Just Giving page and people were do- donating money there and obviously there was money raised on the night uh, as well but 15,000 is an incredible sum of money from a young 22 year old who I'm delighted to say is back playing GAA what he loves uh, to do and uh, so it's it's fantastic so well done and it was Sean O'Shea, who sent me in that information just to update us on how young Dower is doing and the fact that he's raised 15, almost €15,000 for cancer research. Congratulations to him and long may he have good health. Now, coming up on the programme this morning, we are going to talk about smart meters. We've invited Green Party Councillor Dan Boyle to join us on the programme, a man who knows a lot about smart meters and the Green Party, of course, have been advocating for smart meters for quite some time and there has been a lot of talk about moving to smart meters. Smart meters are used in many other countries and we're a little bit behind really here that we haven't had a proper rollout of smart meters. So the ESB network... They're the ones rolling out the smart meters. You don't, I don't think you have to be a customer of, well, the ESB now it would be Electric Ireland. It doesn't matter who your electricity provider is. If you're in one of the towns that have been selected and there's been certain towns in Cork have been selected for the initial rollout of the smart meters. Letters have started to go out to people to say your house has been selected. You're going to get a smart meter. So we're going to find out a little bit more about it because we had a lady who contacted us last week who was a little bit worried because she had heard that there was health implications and health worries around smart meters. So we want to, I suppose, dispel some of the myths as well, because smart meters are all part of climate change and anything that we can do for the environment has got to be welcomed. So we'll talk about that. So if you have a question, a query or a worry with regard to smart meters, Can you get it into us, please? Because Dan Boyle will be joining us in a couple of minutes. So 1850 333 towns, including Mallow, are hoping to become get the status of autism friendly towns it was Clonakilty always ahead of the posse on everything and they Clonakilty Clonakilty last year became the very first town in Ireland to pick up the status of autism friendly and I remember at the time when we did interviews about it and what a great news story it was for the people of Clonakilty I remember saying at the time I really do hope now that other towns will take the lead from Clonakilty and that they'll follow on, and that more will do what needs to be done in order to pick up that status of autism-friendly. And it seems 11 towns have done it, including Mallow, which is terrific. So we will be speaking uh, with the deputy CEO of As I Am, who are the autism charity that work with the town's along with super value to make sure that they tick all the boxes before they can get that status of autism friendly. Katrina Toomey will be joining us the wonderful Katrina Toomey we joined her last week on a very sad note when we were talking about that man that had been murdered on the in in the city. But today it's more of a positive news story she had the wonderful father Peter very down with her yesterday and they have they're about to open up housing. I mean Cork Penny dinners have been feeding the hungry of Cork since famine times, God, little did they know when they set up penny dinners back in the famine. Little did they know that over a hundred and fifty years later they'd still be feeding the good people of Cork, and they're feeding more people in Cork now. I think than they probably did uh, since the famine times, which is a sad, sad reflection on society. And they're at the cold face of it. They see the people that are most in need on our streets every single day of the week, three hundred and sixty-five days of the year. They even serve food on Christmas Day. There is no day that penny dinners don't do not open their doors to the poor. They're an incredible organisation, so they've decided to go into housing. So I really am interested in talking to Katrina Toomey about her plans. So she'll join us on the programme this morning, and then we're going to get an update on the plea to try to reduce fares for the good people of West Cork. There's been a crazy situation in in not West Cork in East Cork. There's been a crazy situation that depending on when you jump on the bus on East Cork will determine how much you're going to pay for your ticket. You would always have assumed the closer you were to your destination, the cheaper your ticket will be. Not the case if you're travelling on a bus, Air and bus out of East Cork. So we'll get the latest on that story. And then it is Tuesday. So Joe Heffernan will join us after half past 12. And today we're going to look at how to build self-esteem. And we'll go through the various building blocks of self-esteem. And self-esteem is something we can all work on. And it is so important if you have children to work on young people's self-esteem. I think it's one of the greatest thing before any kind of education. I mean, education is, is important, but if the child doesn't have good self-esteem, all the A1s in the world are going to get them nowhere without the... It's the self-esteem that will move them on to the next level. So we'll talk about that with Joe. 1850 333 103. Text WhatsApp 0862 Tom in Bantry heard me speak about the sinkhole in Allihys and the mines and how a lot of people, well, we don't know exactly where all of the mines are. And our Cork County Council have now called on the Exploration and Mining Division at the Department of the Environment to undertake a survey just to determine the extent of mining and undermining and find out where these mines are and if there's any potential risk for further collapses a collapse in the area of west cork because it was the area where a lot of mining went on and to do it as a matter of urgency. Tom worked in a mine in Bantry and he says he clearly remembers the uh, they bought the equipment in 1964. They brought it from the Alihy's mine. It was closed down in the 1950s, even though we heard yesterday, Tom, that they mined the late 50s and it finally closed in 1962. So that would tie in with you getting equipment in 1964. Anyway, Tom says a lot of the miners then went to Butte, Montana for work when the mining dried up in West Cork. The Bantry mine closed in 1967. Tom heard one of the mines actually went out under the seafloor. There were shafts all over the place. Isn't that incredible? And then to hear from the geological survey yesterday, because we know that they were mining in the main for copper at the time, there's still a lot of copper ore in West Cork, that was one of the things that came out from the geological survey, so I don't know if people are going to go back mining or not, but because there was a lot of mining done over a long period of time, we need to make sure that the ground structure is safe, so when people are driving over an area where there was mining underneath, they were not in danger of more of these sinkholes because they say the sinkhole you probably saw the photograph it was on the papers, it was certainly all on social media over the weekend the one at said, that is a very very deep sinkhole that has taken part of the road with it uh, as well that is a concern 1850 333 103 let's take a break and we're back talking about smart meters or today on C
0: 103
2: call Patricia with your comment
0: 1850 333
2: 103 last week a caller to the programme was looking for advice on smart meters because her house had been selected as part of the climate action plan to install new ESB smart Meters. She was concerned about the health implications of these meters. So Green Party uh, Cork City Councillor Dan Boyle joins me to talk more about this uh, technology. Good morning to you, Dan. Morning, Patricia. Uh, And you're welcome to the programme. I suppose, so let's start at the beginning. Can you explain to listeners what is a smart meter?
1: Well, I, I, I suppose it's better calling it a smarter meter. Okay. Uh, it, it's using technology to transfer information back and forth when people are using electricity. Uh, And while this be useful, is that in the future, uh, when people have uh, renewable sources of energy like solar panels or geothermal or maybe even a a wind turbine, uh, that uh, when they're consuming electricity, they have the capacity of selling back to the uh, electricity companies.
2: And they'll be able to do that with one of these smart meters. That's right. But why are they so good for the environment?
1: Well, energy uh, and the use of energy, the generation of, en- of energy, is it, it causes uh, many of our, our greenhouse gases. Uh, that is one of the uh, main reasons behind the climate change that we're experiencing. So we, we, we need the technology that, that helps us to use the energy more efficiently, how we produce it and how we use it.
2: So the the idea would be that householders would know when they're using an excessive amount of electricity and the hope would be that they change their ways is it
1: oh, well that's that's part of it uh there there are items that people can get like uh, special plugs that uh they if you put an appliance in it it will tell you as you're using it how much it's costing you uh so that's a benefit to the consumer but smart meters do that on a wider scale uh so that they they can plug into different tariffs and, and people can pay a, a more appropriate cost for their electricity use.
2: So you think financially they're better for a household as well? Well, the,
1: the more information we have, uh, both as consumers uh, and as companies who, who produce and sell energy, uh, the, 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 the lower the costs become, uh, and the, the better able we are to deal with the um, environmental impacts.
2: Are there any charges to the household to have a smart meter installed?
1: Uh, not from the meter itself, no. Um, the, uh, the the installation was being borne by uh, the electricity companies, the uh, ESB mainly at this stage. Uh, they intend over the next five to six years to have a smart meter in every house in the country. Cork is one of the areas that are having the smart meters be, being put in first.
2: And they've selected they've selected particular towns, haven't they, to start the initial uh, rollout? Uh, yeah, yeah. Macroom, uh, Bandon, Clonakilty, Kinsale, Carrigaline, and Blarney were uh, they're, they're some of the first areas to be upgraded. They'll be
1: the very first, yeah. But the, the they're hoping to have uh, half a million done in all Ireland uh, over uh, by the end of this year. Well. Uh, no, sorry, quarter of a million, quarter of a million. Yeah, because the uh, the figure for Cork County and Cork City and County will be fifty five thousand.
2: OK, because I know I was looking it up yesterday. It takes about, I think, 45 minutes to actually install it. I mean, they're to physically being installed in every house.
1: They do. And, and they replace uh, where the meters, the traditional meters are in people's houses. So they're, they're not being put into no locations. The old meter is being taken out and a new meter is being put in.
2: And in many cases, that's actually outside. I mean, my measure my is, is, is outside. Yep. For older houses, though, uh, they are uh, inside. Are they widely used in other countries, Dan?
1: Uh, they're starting to be. Uh, and uh, the countries that have a a more proactive approach to energy use and, and trying to control the environmental impacts of uh, producing energy needlessly and dangerously in terms of the environment, countries like uh, the Netherlands, Denmark, Germany, uh, there's a high take-up, and I suspect it will be EU-wide uh, within a ten-year period.
2: Alissa says, "If your house is selected, you have to take a smart meter."
1: Uh, well, it, it, it's how the information is gathered and how you use uh, energy. It's you have a contract between an electricity supplier and, and uh, how you get energy into your home. Uh, you know, you could choose to have a different electricity supplier, uh, but ESB Networks are, are the people who measure electricity for all electricity companies. Yeah companies in the country.
2: So you you'll you, have to take it, you've, you've no choice. Uh,
1: well, I, I, I suppose you, you can query it, certainly, uh, and if you have concerns, have them addressed. Uh, I, I think some of the arguments that are being put up on the health side, I, I find a bit spurious uh, every electronic, every, electro- every electric good uh, has emits some level uh, of radiation, whether it's a television set, whether it's a microwave, and anything that would come from a smart meter would, would be uh, around the same type and probably even a lot less.
2: And a mobile phone, I imagine, as well. People oh, are li- yes, indeed. And you people know, are I'm living...
1: I I am frying my brain as I know <laughs> I know I but I
2: I always think it's funny when people start talking about all oh, the radiation that's coming off these things that we don't know and and the same person is probably living on their mobile phone as you know does anybody well, it's the cumulative
1: effect I think we we need to be conscious but uh, I I don't think one particular item is going to cause that damage unless you're using it excessively.
2: And in many cases, the meter is going to be outside the house anyway. It's not even going to be indoors. Uh, John says that the smart meters are only a way of cutting out the meter man going around reading uh, the meters. The day of the meter man going around will will be gone when all the smart meters are in.
1: Uh, And they've already got rid of the coin meters in in a lot of places, which which was especially cruel on people on lower incomes, because you actually paid more for your electricity use by putting in the 50 pence or whatever uh, as they used to.
2: But you can you can still do the you, you top it up now with a a card, a card. don't you? Yeah, yeah. Or yeah. right. you're saying the old-fashioned way of putting to yeah. putting the money in is gone. But the days of the meter man reading the meter will. You don't read a smart meter? You don't need somebody to come around and read the smart meter? No,
1: because the, 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 you have a chip that, that transfers the information to a central point, so you don't need to have someone doing that. You, you'll still need people who are technicians if the, the meters uh, go out of order. you still need people to, to uh, supervise whether the system itself is working. So it's it's a bit like when the buses lost their conductors and they, they reallocated people within bus
2: errands. Has the smart metering programme started?
1: It has started. Has it? Uh, it's As I say, they're hoping to have 55,000 done by the, the end of the year. So uh, we, we only have half of October, November and December left. So that's a very ambitious target to be reaching.
2: OK. All right. Listen, Dan, thank you for that. And uh, I, I know you're driving and we appreciate you um, taking time out. Are you in Scotland? Well,
1: I, I have stopped.
2: I have yeah, stopped. Absolutely. Absolutely <laughs> you stopped stopped. <We're> <laughs> Delighted to hear that. But thank you for taking time out uh, to talk to us today. Thank you. Good morning to you. Bye-bye. That is uh, Cork City Councillor Dan Boyle on uh, Smart Meters. The rollout has begun. But yeah, the... the the meter man, the day the meter man coming along to read the meter is is gone. And a lot of people, I think, will, will bemoan that. There was a time when the meter man came every single two months. And now, am I right in saying they only have to call twice in a 12-month period to read? And you can, it's, it's estimated bills or you can send on the information yourself. But that will all be a thing of the past. There will be, we will talk about the day we will be the generation that that will explain to a younger generation. There was a time when a meter man came and bred your meter, in in your house, and the younger people will look at us as if we've got uh, ten heads, and it will be sad to see the hint of the the meter man. I've a lovely, lovely gentleman uh, calls to our house a couple of times a year to read the meter. Such a friendly, nice uh, man. But that will be gone along with these when the smart meters come in. We've got the, with the way technology is going, we have computers, don't we, and machines doing the work that was once done by men and women but sadly that's just the way the world is going 185333103 bernie's taking your calls text or whatsapp 0862 one o three, one o
0: three. Court today on
2: C one o three.
0: Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment.
2: 086-2103-103. Now, last year we celebrated with Clonakilty when they became the first autism friendly town in Ireland. Now, eleven towns, including Mallow, are on the journey to join them. The framework to achieve autism friendly status was developed by As I Am in partnership with SuperValue. And joining me from As I Am, which is Ireland's. National Autism Charity is their deputy CEO and that's uh, Fiona Ferris. Good morning to you, Fiona. Good morning. How are you? I'm very well and and you're welcome to the programme. Fiona, is there a lot of work to be done before a town can get that title of autism friendly?
3: There really is, but... There are actually quite simple steps in order to do that. But what we felt was quite important as an organisation was to be able to stand over what we consider autism friendly to be. So it wasn't a case of saying, "Okay, yes, you're now autism friendly. These are the steps that we expect of you in order to have been accredited as autism friendly. But something else that we think was very important um, is that the towns realised that this is a journey. So before each town is able to start the process of being autism friendly, they have to develop a three-year plan of how they continue to assess the accessibility of the environments in their town uh, and what they hope to do over the next three years um, that will make that journey go a little bit further. And, you know, think of some other things that aren't part of the accreditation process, but that will make... Uh, the environment and the town more accessible for those in it.
2: It's terrific. And as I mentioned, SuperValue are involved and have been involved from the start. And people will know that many SuperValue stores will have a sign up saying that they have a special shopping hour for families with uh, autism. Talk to me about what shopping can be like. So,
3: shopping can be quite an overwhelming experience for many people on the spectrum and people, of course, uh, with other neurodevelopmental differences or sensory processing differences. I suppose that the biggest issue is the unpredictability of the environment because many shopping Centres or supermarkets can be totally different to the next one that you might encounter. So not knowing what to expect can cause a great deal of anxiety for those who are on the spectrum. But one of the biggest, um, I suppose, barriers for inclusion that people on the autism spectrum experience is actually the judgment and attitude of others and other people not fully understanding what autism is or how it can be supported in a person who needs that support So, what Supervalue have done, it's not only the the autism friendly shopping hour, what they've also done on their website is have maps of their stores, which is a sensory map, which will show you where the areas are that are a little bit louder, where it might be a bit colder, where you might experience more people um, on a certain day. For example, you know, seven o'clock on this day is busier than it would be at two o'clock on this day. Um, And also, they have recordings on their website of the different signs that you might hear within the supermarket. So it's a lot more than just that autism-friendly shopping art. is not fantastic. Yeah, they put measures in place so it's accessible
2: all of the time. Because families living with uh, autism, Fiona, can they feel very excluded from their local community?
3: They absolutely can and for me as a parent, I've had a child on the spectrum and I used to just avoid going shopping to be perfectly honest because I knew that the environment was so unsuitable and so unpredictable and just overwhelming from a sensory perspective for my daughter and I knew that within a certain amount of time she would become overwhelmed and there'd be a meltdown and of course when other people start to to look at you as if your child is just misbehaving um, or if they're just you know the bold child or a child having a tantrum, and you just want to be able to say to them, well, actually, it isn't. They're just so overwhelmed. And having that judgment is just not something that you need as a parent who's already doing their best to to support their child and just go about your everyday life. So just knowing that whenever you go to the supermarket and people understand and the staff have been trained, I can't even explain how much easier it makes it for a parent who is shopping with a child on the spectrum. But of course, also for battle. Um, because autistic children do become autistic adults, and as you're an adult, you want to be able to go shopping as well, and know that others understand you and know how to support
2: you. Yeah, and you you want to be uh, lead a normal life as possible. And the exactly. thing, the the one thing with autism, you don't come with a big sign in your head saying I'm, you know, I'm autistic.
3: No, that's the thing as well. That autism is an invisible condition, so there's nothing physically characteristic that would show somebody that, of course, you are on the spectrum. So what we like to say, and as I am, is that, you know, autism-friendly measures are people-friendly measures. We should be treating everybody with the same amount of respect and understanding that everybody has the same accessibility rights as each other. And we shouldn't be expecting to see something whenever we're talking about autism because all of the differences associated with autism are neurodevelopmental. So it's sensory processing differences, communication differences differences in how you imagine uh, and socially imagine so there isn't anything physically characteristic that would you know point out to somebody this person might be on the spectrum or having difficulty with this environment.
2: Have we figures Fiona on the number of people who live with autism or have an autistic member of their family in this country?
3: Yes, so um, there was a study done in 2016 that showed that 1 in 65 people in the education system are on the autism spectrum. Now, of course, that's 1 in 65 people who have been diagnosed, and it's talking specifically about the education system. What we need to think about there as well is the amount of people who are undiagnosed, those who are going through the process of being diagnosed. And 1 in 65, what that means is, by extension, Almost a quarter of a million people are living in Ireland who have a diagnosis of autism, or who have an immediate family member who have a diagnosis of autism. So, if we're not putting measures and steps in place to facilitate, support, and include those people, that is a massive cohort of society that that is being excluded and it's feeling isolated.
2: And you you were diagnosed at fifteen, Fiona. Is, is it unusual to get a diagnosis? What some people would say, fifteen is a bit is very late to get a diagnosis. Well, see,
3: the thing is with girls is that autism is quite different than girls and the diagnostic criteria was never really developed with females in mind. So it is quite common for girls to get diagnosed a bit later, either late childhood, teens or even early adulthood. Um, And What we would normally report is that out of every 10 people diagnosed, it's only likely that one of those will be female. But we are seeing lots uh, more and more females being diagnosed as uh, that diagnostic criteria is broadening. And people are now able to say, well, actually, these differences I've been feeling, I now know that that's autism. Whereas before, it might have been misdiagnosed or just gone missed totally just under the radar because the differences that that females experience aren't always typically characteristic of autism. So being diagnosed at 15 as a female really isn't that uncommon.
2: Uh, And I know your speciality is early years training. And I assume the earlier a child is diagnosed and the earlier that they have access to services.
3: Absolutely. The early for intervention for that child. Yeah. Is, is crucial. Early intervention is so important. And that word intervention, I have to say, I'm not a huge fan of because it makes it sound like uh, you want to intervene with the yeah. autism. But actually what, what we want to do is support the child as early as possible so that they're able to feel included and supported in all of the environments they encounter throughout their lives. Because the earlier that happens... The better that child is going to feel about themselves, the more positive an attitude they're going to have towards their differences and the more people are going to understand how to support them. But of course, the earlier we get in with young children, the better, because after the age of seven, the brain actually starts to slow down in terms of its elasticity. So we can learn so much and absorb so much before the age of seven. And after that, It just takes that little bit more effort. So the earlier the better in terms of child
2: development and brain development. It's it's interesting you mention that because we're running a piece on our news on a group of parents in Cork City who are fighting the system because the school that their children are attending, the autism spectrum class only kicks in from first class. It's not for junior infants and senior infants. And they want their children to be getting the services of junior infants and senior infants because by the time they get to first class, they will be almost seven. Of
3: course. Yeah, and I mean, I, I'm not totally sure as to why that would be the case because if it's a Department of Education place, it should be available from junior infants. I, I don't fully understand the ins and outs of that one. Um, but what I would say it is it's really important that the child gets supported as early as possible because, you know, first class, second class, that, that's not really good enough.
2: But yet again, a group of parents fighting, Fiona. It seems to be an ongoing battle.
3: It really is. Um, And as a parent, I can totally relate to that, that feeling that you need to fight for what you're entitled to. Um, And often whenever we talk about special needs, what I like to explain to people is that autistic people don't necessarily have any needs above and beyond everybody else. They just have so much more barriers in place to being able to have those needs met. They have to fight harder to get access to their rights and entitlements than the rest of society do. It's not necessarily additional needs, additional barriers to those needs. And parents of children with special needs or parents of children who are on the autism spectrum. Fighting is just a very unfortunate part of everyday life.
2: Life's tough enough without without having to fight at, at the same time. And your own um, daughter Fiona, what age was she diagnosed at? She was diagnosed very early.
3: Actually, she was diagnosed just before she was two. But I had her diagnosed privately, and it wasn't until she was um, about four and a half that she was diagnosed publicly.
2: And was that because you because you identified it yourself?
3: I'd like to say that I I should have seen it earlier than I did. Um, but to be honest, she's so totally different to me and what I understood as autism, because of course, every person is so entirely different. Therefore, every autistic person is going to be so entirely different to the next. And the ways in which she experiences differences, I don't. So we're kind of like chalk and cheese in that sense. (laughs) Um, But um, I I didn't see what was, I suppose, characteristic of autism for her. But the second I did, I just couldn't wait. There was no way I was going to sit back and wait um, for years to have, those supports put in place. And I was a very young mum. I was only 22 when I had her. So me, like many other parents, had to put myself under a lot of financial pressure to be able to get her diagnosed privately. But I I certainly do not regret that, because by the time she was diagnosed publicly, she'd already had, you know, a year and a half in an early intervention preschool, uh, which I believe was the making of her.
2: And how is she doing now?
3: She's doing great. She's 10 now. She's in fourth class. Um, i have fears that she's going to take over my job someday because <laughs> uh, she she started speaking openly and publicly about her experiences of being on the spectrum well i mean if you told me that she would be doing that years ago i never i never would have believed it because she didn't speak properly until she was around 5 or so and then she had selective mutism for about 2 years because of anxiety and now she's just flying and that's not to say that she doesn't have her challenges she does you know she's acutely aware of her challenges But whenever she thinks of autism, those aren't the things she thinks of. She now thinks of the things um, that autism presents her with that makes her different and unique to other people. Um, But also, she still needs a lot of support. Um, She goes to psychology every other week um, to help her with her anxiety um, because that's something that is a a huge area of need for her but might not be for another child. So every child will need their own unique combination of
2: support. Ah, that's every child is different and what a boring world we'd live in, Fiona, if we were all the same and that's exactly what she said <laughs> <Well done. laughs> alright listen a real pleasure to talk to you uh, Fiona thank you for that and good luck with the 11 towns especially so, Amado well on, on this journey we'll talk again God bless will do uh, so take care I'm bye bye, bye. 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 what well, a lovely lady that is Fiona Ferris who is Deputy CEO of As I Am Eighteen fifty-three, three-three-one-zero-three. Bernie continues to take your calls we're going to take a break in the next hour we're going to be speaking with Katrina Toomey of Penny Dinners they're branching out into housing we found out why we we're talking about smart meters in the last hour with Councillor Dan Boyle. A listener says, I have prepaid power, so will I be able to get a smart meter? And by the way, I don't want one. I've just taken a quick look on the ESB networks who are installing the smart meters. It doesn't say anything about prepaid power, so I don't think it's going to make any difference because the smart meter just replaces the meter, wherever your meter is at the moment. So I imagine it's going to be the very same type of meter. I can't see... Anything certainly online where they mention prepaid power. Anyone who's already had the ESB networks around installing the smart meters, if you can let us know if you're on prepaid power, were they still able to install a smart meter? And I also would be interested to hear from anyone. Did you refuse to get a smart meter? Because certainly we're hearing from some people who just don't want a smart uh, meter. Somebody was making the point that I've, uh, I've uh, had a meter in Where's that other um, text, I've had a meter in place uh, for fifty years. Says John, "There's nothing wrong with it. I don't want mine replaced." It's interesting that we are hearing from people. A lot of other people can't wait. I mean, I know some people are saying that they they would like to request a smart meter if they could. They want to get the smart meter in because certainly people will save money on their electricity. I mean, if you are noticing that your you can see on your smart meter that suddenly you're there's a lot of electricity being used. It will prompt you, I think, to take a look around the house and see what exactly is causing all of this electricity and maybe has the dreaded immersion been left on, for example. So, But there are some people who are, just don't want the smart meters. As I say, I don't know if you're able to refuse one or not or what are the implications. If you decide to say, no, I'll stick with uh, what I have. I, I do know there won't be anyone going around reading the meter. So I don't know if you're going to have a problem uh, getting proper bills or not of that facility where you know, that's there at the moment rather than an estimated bill you can actually put in your own reading. I don't know if that facility will still be there or not. So anyone, because they've started rolling them out already in certain towns across Cork, if you have one of the metres in, let us know either if you'd prepay or d- did you hear of anybody refusing one or did you refuse one yourself? Uh, let us know. 1850 333 Don't forget to keep working on your cheesy jokes, please. It'll be in the final hour of the programme. We'll open the text and WhatsApp and get you to text in your funniest joke. We're calling it the cheesiest joke. Do you want to have it about cheese? Absolutely. Uh, Get your jokes in, but it will be because we have teamed up with Cozy Cafe on Church Square in Kinsale. They're holding cheese fondue nights. They've selected the 27th of October and then the 10th and 24th of November and the 1st, 8th and 15th of December. But they're having a special fondue night on Sunday the 3rd of November and that's the night that we have our tickets for and the plan is that if you win today on the programme and your joke makes us laugh and you get selected as having the cheesiest joke of the day then the prize you will win is for your good self and four of your friends to go along to this special fun due night at the Cosy Cafe in Kinsale but you must be able to go the tickets are only for the 3rd of November so get working on your cheesiest jokes please And we'll look for the details of those jokes in the next hour. By WhatsApp, Heidi said, Patricia, here we go again on the news. A pony beaten so badly that he had to be put down. What is on these people's minds? Cruelty, cruelty. That's all we seem to be hearing. It is outrageous. There are pictures on the newspaper of that poor pony. I just had to sort of... Fl- tried to flick the page over as quick as I could without looking at it in too much detail and I know pictures went up on social media certainly yesterday and they came with a warning to people it, seemingly it was outrageous is is a good word uh, to use how can anybody inflict that kind of pain on such a defenceless little animal and it's just shocking Sh- absolutely shocking and uh, uh, people who know Me, and and who listen regularly to this programme, will know my views when it comes to uh, animal cruelty. I I can't even, I'm gone to the stage, I think, as I'm getting older, I can't even read the cases when it comes up. It's the, are the other ones is, you know, any of the child abuse cases. There was a time when I was younger where I was able to cringe, but I'd read through them. I just, I can't do them anymore. I just, and I don't know if that's a sign of ageing as you get older, your tolerance level for that kind of things I just I find it too upsetting I get too emotional and it will play on my mind and all I'll be doing is if it's an animal thinking of the poor defenceless animal or if it's a child that's been abused I just I can't yeah Ah, uh, But yeah, Heidi, I did see it and I'm, I'm sure a lot of other of our listeners saw it as well and were equally, equally uh, disgusted with it. And I suppose something we're all equally disgusted with at the moment is the condition of our this housing crisis that we find ourselves in. And it just doesn't seem to be getting any better. So I was delighted when I heard that Father Peter McFerry was coming to Cork yesterday because he's a man for the pleasure of interviewing on this programme. And I always love to interview Father Peter McVerry. and every single time I interview Father Peter McVerry, when we're back in the office afterwards I'm always making the point why is that man not listened to? He always seems to make so much sense and he's the kind of guy I think if I was in charge of this housing crisis it's the Peter McVeary's the Paul Sheehan's from Simon the Katrina Toomey's they're the people I'd have around the table and say "All right, guys we have this amount of money What can we do with it? How do we solve the problem? So I was very interested yesterday to follow all the media reports on Father Peter McVerry and what he had to say in Cork and he said yesterday that the government have to concede that their strategy to reduce homelessness is simply not working. Give it up. What you've tried to do is not working. He said society should be outraged at the image which emerged last week of the homeless five-year-old boy eating his dinner off a piece of cardboard on a street in Dublin. He said, we should be absolutely outraged at this. But he said, that's yesterday's news. We've forgotten about it already and we move on and things become normalised. And I do think that photograph of that little boy and he was kneeling down and he had his little coat on him and his hood hood up and somebody had given him, maybe his his mammy or his daddy, had given him a piece of cardboard to put on the floor and he was kneeling down and then on the piece of cardboard was his little paper plate with I think did somebody say he was having some bolognese, some pasta or something and he was eating it off the side of the street. The family had obviously come to a soup kitchen and then it was last week. And then I said, I got to see it when I was in Dublin on Saturday night. I couldn't get over the amount of children, little, little kiddies in in buggies and small children being handed these plates of hot food from the side of the street. It was down Grafton Street, eight o'clock on what was starting to be, you know, that starting to get quite chilly and you're thinking those children should be home in their beds and here they were eating their dinners on the side of the street and there was that amazing photograph that was captured last week and everyone I think was shocked by it. But you know, Father Peter is right, it's yesterday's news and, and we move on and he said yesterday while he was in Cork that it's now more than three years Since the government introduced Rebuilding Ireland, he said the government's strategy to reduce homelessness and virtually every single month of the last three years, the number of homeless people has gone up. Hasn't gone down. It's actually gone up. He said, at what point do you say our strategy is not working? He said, we've got to revisit it. The emperor has no clothes. The emperor won't acknowledge that they have no clothes. We've got to revisit Rebuilding Ireland, he said it simply isn't working and then obviously the journalists that were around yesterday were you know saying to him what 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 do you do? you know what needs to be done um, and he said, for local authorities they should be looking for funding opportunities they should be t- looking for more for more ways to buy properties and, and you know and obviously he was backing people like Katrina Toomey and Port Cork Penny Dinners he said compulsory purchase vacant buildings where their owners cannot or will not bring them back into use and he's also called though this would be very controversial and I don't know if it would ever be uh, introduced he said the out, he, he, this is what he would do outlawing for three years evictions from the private rented sector into homelessness until the state gets a grip on the problem until the state decides we're going to build enough houses and until they do that, nobody would be allowed to be evicted from a private rented house. Now, I, I cannot, um I certainly cannot see that happening, but that's one of his suggestions. I know, but the compulsory purchase order one, I think, is one that definitely needs to be looked at. And then while I was digesting all of that from Father Peter like very yesterday. I also saw that red tape is causing delays of up to two years in getting fast-tracked housing developments under construction. Property and industry experts are saying that while the strategic housing development scheme, that speeded up the planning approval for projects because at one stage there was, they realised planning was a problem. So, they decided, right, we'll bring in this strategic housing development scheme and that will speed up the planning. So, it's done that. But now it seems it doesn't reduce the barriers to commencing work. More than 16,000 homes and 7,600 student unions, student units, had one permission under this scheme. So they got fast tracked through planning and that allows for developments of at least 100 homes or 200 student unions, units, keep saying units, unions, units to bypass the council planners, and they go straight to a board panola. So that speeds it all up and they get the planning. So they get the planning. And while the scheme is more than two years old and was intended to get more housing built faster, work has yet to begin on around two thirds of the approved housing. And according to the Irish planning, in planning Institute, the post-permission period is now increasingly getting more complex. So we solve one problem and then what happens we just invent another one or we discover another one. So we just, we're standing still. It's, it seems, listen to all the Peter McVary, uh, we just seem to be standing still. We don't seem to be moving. And he is right. They put this, this um, strategy in place. They promised fast bills. They promised to do something about it. They have a strategy that's in, in place. And yet for every single month that that strategy has been there for the last three years, the number of homeless people has gone up. So when does somebody shout, stop, this isn't working. We need to find a new uh, strategy. 1850 103. Bernie is uh, taking your calls. So you can text or WhatsApp your thoughts and comments 0862 103 103. C-103 Jobs. A plaster is wanted for immediate start. That's in the Carrigaline area. While a general operative is required for immediate start with a company specialising in concrete polishing service is based in Bantir but the work is nationwide a retail store manager that's wanted for Mark's Models Cork branch that's on Oliver Plunkett Street, while part-time staff are wanted for a takeaway in Aherla. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is
1: C103. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed.
2: Cork Today on C103.
0: Call Patricia with your comment. 1850 333
2: 103. Now as we've been mentioning and indeed we were reporting on our news uh, yesterday, social activist Father Peter McVeary was visiting Cork to view a new housing development by Cork Penny Dinners. To chat about the project, Katrina Toomey of Cork Penny Dinners joins me. Good morning you, Katrina oh good morning how are uh, you? i'm I'm very well and and you're very welcome you Thank have you. purchased and renovated a house yes. now tell me about tell me how this came about firstly well you
4: know you know down through the years we've seen so many things happen and we've seen so many struggles and we just feel that not a lot has been done and in some instances nothing was being done you know as such and uh, yeah, we we just felt like that we we would take a look at this, so we researched it. We went to to Brother Kevin's up in Dublin and we went to a place called the Cornerstone in Manchester and around to the various areas like to see how best we could come up with a plan and we decided that that there was a great need for kind of a facility that would allow people get ready for their own home and to take them in, you know, from homelessness. So it's um it's a Year, uh, the, the house has three two bedroom departments in it, and each we put there are six men going in there, and they're going in next month. And what will happen is they'll be there for two years, and at the end of the two years, if everything is good and there's a, a good reference, then City Hall we spoke about this with Minister English and Brian Ganey from City Hall was there as well. And we spoke about it before that with Valerie O'Sullivan that we would basically get people ready. For a council property, so we would have a good reference and they would move forward with that with their own home for life at the end of it. And during the two years they're with us, like we will have all the wraparound support services in place for them to get them to from A to Z.
2: Because it is fair to say, isn't it, that when you're people coming out of homelessness, they need more than just to be handed a key.
4: Yes. Absolutely, you see. That's the thing. A lot of people don't seem to understand. They think that that solves all the problems, but there are various issues going on, and even something like whereby a lack of self-esteem or a lack of confidence, you know, can knock people as well. But obviously, there's mental health, there's addictions, there's you know homelessness through landlords. There's a huge amount of issues going on, and people then when they find themselves homeless. It's not just an overnight thing or a week thing. It, it can go on for years for a lot of them. So we're hoping that with this, with this project, now that that even the city councils will will see a way forward in this type of housing for people. You know, giving them a space to get ready, giving them a home, and then giving them an opportunity that at the end of it they'll be in gainful employment. They'll be back in education. And um, we, we will assist them with all of that. That's
2: and incredible. It's, yeah. And more than anything, Katrina, it gives them hope.
4: It it does. And that's the important thing. And it gives them a hope and a way to do things because with the support services, they simply can act you know, They don't have to fret or worry. Or they don't have to feel that they're not equal. You know, we're going forward, all of us, as equals on this. And we're just you know, happy to be in a position to facilitate this for people.
2: And you, what, what did you do? You, you bought a house close to where you are on Little Hanover Street, is it? We did, yeah, quite, yeah, it's
4: quite close. And we renovated the house into three beautiful two-bedroom apartments. So there'll be two guys in each apartment. Look, we have to start somewhere. We're starting with the guys. And, um, and, what we're going to do is, it's like they're practically finished now at the minute, like it will be ready next month for occupancy, but we're going to kit them out completely so that when they go in, it's just a matter of hanging up their clothes (laughs) and just to take everything away from everybody because sometimes people can be upset or daunted by the prospect of a home when they're waiting so long for it as
2: well. And
4: that that can kind of add more issues you know, of anxiety and, and and stuff. When people are waiting a long time, a huge amount of issues arise, use, a huge amount of problems arise for that person. But the one thing that's always there is the fact that they don't have a home, they don't have a place to put a key into and, you know, have a roof over their heads and someplace safe and secure. Well, we're doing that by supplying everything for them to give them a good start and hopefully, you know, that they will see like that we care that much, you know, and it'll be a lot of trust as well. And um it's hope for us as well because we're hopeful that this will work and it'll show a new way forward.
2: Oh yeah, and you know, long term, um these guys could go on then to become mentors for the next that's what we're hoping. for, for the next ones in. And have you yeah. already selected the six gentlemen who are, are are going to be the first six?
4: Well we've had um, we've had a quite a few interviews you know there have been two interview panels and they've been a a lot of the guys have been through the the interview the interviews and we haven't announced yet who's going in there like you know but we we will be doing that quite shortly
2: but there are are there are
4: everybody settled in for christmas
2: brilliant brilliant
4: but a lot of interest
2: on behalf of the homeless men wanting to be considered
4: Oh, huge. And, you know, we're going to go forward with this and do another one. We're not going to just stop there. We're going to go forward and we're going to try and build up this and hopefully, you know, that they know in Dublin what we're doing because Minister English actually saw the house and he thought it was an excellent idea because it is, You really could be faulted. We have a well thought out, well planned, well researched, and, and we've got a long-term plan in place as well. And... Um, He just thought it was a great idea that in in the interim that we would be taking people that don't have a home, putting them into a place for two years and giving them a chance to, you know, to find work, to go back to education, to get back on their feet and then get them ready for when they do have their own place so that they're not phased by any of it. So he sees the relevance of all this and um, he, he agrees with it, so we're hoping. You know, would it, would it put another house out there that, that we can eventually try and look at something else? You know, I think sometimes, I suppose, what I'm trying to say is that if we can show something that works, it's a, it's a plan, it's a template for others to, to follow. And um, this is something we think the government should be doing themselves yeah,
2: anyway. Yeah, and it, it can grow. I mean, I'm, one of my favourite sayings, and I know listeners are probably sick of hearing me saying it, but like, you know, light the candle, then curse the darkness. It all has to start small.
4: It has to start small and it has to be done properly, which is what we're very anxious about, you know, and why we've taken kind of a bit of time with this as our first venture. And we've really looked at everything and we're going forward with confidence now with it and hopefully it'll be something that others can look at. And we were saying that even a house, like all the villages and towns up and down the length and breadth of this country, every village, every town could take a house like this, whether it's one or two people in it, or a family. But this is what the government should be looking at, like, you know, kind of just... Putting these houses everywhere and just lumping everybody together, yeah. big estates either. That's, yeah, that's and st- start start thinking
2: uh, outside the box. I mean, we we constantly when we're talking about homelessness, that, you know, there's a huge awareness in the county that while we homelessness mightn't be on our doorsteps in that we don't see it every day as you do in the city, yeah. but there are so many people from the county who end well, up in the city homeless.
4: You see, that's it. They have to come to us because the services aren't in the small towns and villages. So they have to come up to the city because they can access access food, they can access clothes, they can get shoes, they can get advice, they can get everything in cock in the city. You know, we're there and we provide the food and the clothes and whatever else they need. We can also signpost them towards towards services. So that's why they have to come to the services and in their towns and counties. But you're right, we have people from all areas you know, from Cork and Kerry and
2: places like that, here in Cork. Actually, while I have you on, I was—I mentioned on air yesterday. I was in in Dublin on, on, at a disability summit and I ended up staying in Dublin on Saturday night and I couldn't get over the number of homeless people uh, and I came across two soup runs and uh, people were had set up on the side of Grafton Street and they were handing out you know hot food and clothes yeah. and stuff um, and I couldn't get over the number of families that were there with children these were families that I subsequently discovered had, were staying in local hotels but because yeah. because yeah. takeaway food is so expensive and it can be you don't want your children living on burgers and chips, they come to the soup runs because it's good wholesome food and I thought straight away of your good sales and penny dinners would you get families that are living in hotels and B&B's?
4: We do, we do and we cater for their needs as well because they don't have cooking facilities so we'd obviously have to do that but we give them things like you know those hot noodles and hot cups and stuff and again you can see why people would have to access the soup runs in Dublin because the amount of people in hotels and and be up there. it's at great in caucus as well the numbers are huge but you, they can not buy fast food all the time they don't have that amount of money for to do that or have to be going to restaurants with their children so you can see why they have to do what they have to do to survive the children have to be fed they have to get some nourishment and save them and that's why they do it you know and, and and like a lot of people would say isn't it isn't this bad or is this this great? you know i would admire anybody that would take their child enough to get a proper nourishment enough you know, yeah. meal inside them. Yeah. Like oh. they have to do it. It's yeah. their way it's their survival but they have it's the only way that you will survive and the children need food to strengthen them. But isn't it so sad that in this country that facilities like that have to be there for for people who are forgotten about they're put into a B and B and they're put into a hotel and you know, that's they're inside in one room and then could you imagine taking the child out in the cold for with the super and start at 8 o'clock or 9 o'clock in the evening to having to take a child out in this weather now to go down and get something hot to eat. And then the, they have to eat us the, They um, were They right. were
2: eating it on the side of the road, Katrina. They were sitting on the footpath.
4: Yeah, and isn't that some memory for a child to have? Oh. We had all that in famine times. And again, I, I will have to say, again, in famine times, that wasn't caused by the Irish. But what's happening now is at the hands of our own government, you know, so we don't need that type of a famine or that type of a place in our country we We need to go forward, and we need to bring everybody that's in that position forward with us, Absolutely. and they need to be looked after. The ordinary people on the street are the people that are looking after everybody else, like even you know th- we couldn't we couldn't survive if we didn't have the amount of donations. just just this week like we had a huge donation from i suppose Noreen down in the um, Trump tariff.
2: You yeah,
4: know, yeah. And what they brought, and it's like, Anna and then they bring it. Then they tell us who donated and who gave what, and and all the different things that they brought for us. But it's things like that that keep us going. So you can see where the, the goodwill is in the country. It's it's all over the country, and this is something that the government don't have. They don't have the heart. They don't have the goodwill, and they don't have the interest of all of the people of Ireland at heart.
2: And you've launched your Christmas appeal uh, for this year. Yeah. what are you looking yeah. for, Katrina?
4: Well, I suppose we're looking for
2: anything that we give out as a gift because it's Christmas,
4: and we believe that, like all down, like all through the year, they can get everything and anything off us, you know. And they can ha- they can access clothes, you know, second-hand clothes. They get toiletries. They get all that off us down through the year. But at Christmas, like we just like to give gifts, a treat. Yeah. A treat. A little bit a of a
2: treat. Treat.
4: You know, Just to lift their spirits. Yeah. Right? yeah,
2: Did you have a wonderful day with uh, Father Peter yesterday?
4: Oh, no. It I was, I was fabulous. And we we'll be having Brother Kevin in now shortly because we have a warehouse coming on stream as well. And just today, we had a guy down that he's a dentist and, and he volunteers time with Brother Kevin up in Dublin. He's been doing it for the past five years. And him and his partner are um, roll out the service up there and it just means that people that don't have medical cards and that need, you know, treatment immediately, emergency treatment, that they're on hand for them because if, even if you don't have a medical card, you still have to pay even if you have to go to the CH. You have to pay for your first visit and um, so it, it, it'll be, in, and he would we'll be setting up um a room there so that people can go in and that the pain is taken away from them, whether it's pain relief they get or whether it's a procedure that they get. But we have to look at all of these things because can you imagine, you know, that there are people just walking around, they're sick, they're in pain and, and stuff. So we're going to try and look at all the gaps that are out there. Wow. We're going to try and fill them and, um, and then... In the warehouse, again, we will have kind of other classrooms and therapy rooms and we'll have a public-built kitchen whereby we can teach the basics of cookery so that people can survive on a budget and go back to the way things were, you know, without, and and just showing them, like, it's more cost-effective like, to, to be able to cook something uh, on a budget and, and it's very nutritious as well, so, and we'll have, we'll have guest chefs in for that and A lot of the classes that we roll out in penny dinners, you know, because we roll out loads in penny dinners and we roll out more classes and we're hoping to create an orchestra as well because music is a great medium for everything, for unhappiness, for mental health, for loneliness and um, so as well as having the High Hope Square. We hope to have an orchestra now as well.
2: You're incredible! You're just—you're—I yeah. just, can see lots of people talking, but the word "inspirational." People are saying, "Just you're just—you are just incredible." Long, long may you and the rest of the gang and the likes of Father Peter Macvery and the likes of um,
4: Father Peter Macvery was something else yesterday. No, was he? He us at the, the head each time, and um, do you know, like I wouldn't have any clothes, but he has loads of clothes. But I think people. The government need to realise now that everybody is listening to Brother Peter McBurray and they're listening to Brother Kevin. We're going to have him this week as well. So, you know, maybe we're all saying the same thing. Maybe the government, somebody might stand up and say, "Okay, I'll plan that cape and I'll try and save the day because as it is, nobody's doing anything. Well, I do. Well, well, I'm...
2: I mentioned earlier Father Peter McVerry, during his visit to you yesterday again as he always does you know making so much sense talking about the homeless strategy that was launched uh, three years ago and virtually every month since that strategy was launched the number of homeless people has gone up. The strategy isn't working guys. Do you know what I mean? This isn't rocket science. It's not working. Do something else. It's
4: not going to work the way they're rolling it out at the minute and they should just throw their hands up in the air and just walk away from that and and Pay attention to what to what he says, to what brother Kevin says, and to what everybody else in the country has to say on it. Nobody wants to are uh, is accepting of the current crisis, and they're pleading, they're begging, that they're just asking the government over and over again to take this serious. But the government are coming back saying that it is being addressed. There is houses being built, you know, that there are houses being built around the country, uh, and that there are enough beds for everybody. But everybody in the room will tell you that's not true.
2: Yeah. How come this? How come this? Ten thousand people in emergency accommodation,
4: it, as well as the rebuilding Ireland <sighs> thing going down the, the drain. Their their attitude is going down the drain very quickly as well, because people are beginning to, to ask questions. they were saying, "Where are the beds? Where are the hospitals? Where are the houses? You know, where are the the homes? These people. Where are the shelters? Where you know, where's the support services? And it's not just homelessness or country." They're not, they're not looking at the heart that's being felt up and down the country. And, you are and
2: and you're seeing you're seeing it every day. Listen, I have to leave it there. I can see literally text after text, call after call, uh, wanting to applaud you to say, "Well done! You're just you're amazing. You're incredible." Long way you continue. And somebody says, "Do you penny dinners? Take the Christmas shoe boxes for the children. I'd love yes, to send mine to them rather than going abroad. You do take we them, do. do you? You do. do yeah. Okay. And we obviously, do. you take you you take toys for children for Christmas as well. We we do. Yeah, or even
4: vouchers for like the cinema or for. The pantomime offer Oh yeah that'd be great you know, Yeah, Even a voucher for You know one of those Places where they can Go out of the cold, They can, And you know kids are kids Like we're conscious Of teenagers as well and voters, I usually say that, you know.
2: For the first. cinema and things, let them get in, yeah. watch a movie. Yeah. All right, listen, we will talk again before Christmas, uh, Katrina. In the meantime, thank you for that. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Um, okay. And okay. thanks. Um, continue. Good luck. God bless. Thank you, 1000000 Bye thank bye. You. Bye bye. The wonderful, wonderful. You run out of sort of words to use, don't you, when you talk about uh, Katrina Toomey. She really is amazing. Mary says, Patricia, I'm here on my own, applauding katrina Toomey, what common sense the woman is talking no waffle like the waffle we get from our ministers and our
0: jewelry isn't a gift you give just once it's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it blue nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price
2: government uh, TDs this woman should be listened to someone else says Katrina is some woman why does the government not take a leaf out of her uh, book and then uh, another one Michael says Patricia listening to your interview with Katrina Toomey and I heard you talking about what Father Peter McVeary had to say yesterday what inspirational people that housing unit that Katrina is speaking out. Speaking of, what a fantastic idea. I wish her well with her with it. I sincerely hope it can be extended. I wish our politicians and government would listen to these two inspirational people. I still think there are lots of vacant accommodation in all of our towns, uh, especially the ones over business premises, on the main streets, for example, that surely could be brought back into service to aid so many people in such extreme difficulty. That picture of the child on their hands... And, and kneeling down on the street, eating a dinner last week made me cry. What a sad sight says Michael in 2019 yeah how right you are 1850 333 103 and Father Peter Macvery had a simple one of the solutions that he says you know and it's not short term solutions could be compulsory purchase of the vacant buildings where owners can or will not bring them back into use and then let the council take them over put the money in if they're not able to build the houses fast enough use the stock that's there turn it around and get it out and get people into those homes Eighteen fifty three three. 33103.
0: Cork today on C103 text or whatsapp patricia with your comment
2: 0862103103 now back in early september Fianna Fáil councillor james oconnor raised what he called the extortionate bus fares that people in east cork are faced to pay if they want to use their local bus air and bus service to find out how he's getting on trying to get those fares reduced councillor james oconnor once again uh, rejoins me good afternoon good morning you, James. Good morning. I'm wishing, morning, the, I'm wishing the day uh, away. Uh, you're very welcome. Okay, uh, start by firstly reminding listeners of the price variation that you discovered on this Route 40, which takes people from East Cork into the city centre.
5: So yes, so throughout the election, uh, this is something that was really raised by a lot of the, the constituents in the Middleton local electoral area for the Beall and uh, for Middleton and the rural villages as well in between that are serviced by bus there and the Route 40 service. So that's the cork, main Cork Waterford service so, basically, there's a complication, particularly at the border between uh, Waterford and Cork, where the services go from being commercial services, which uh, both there and have total call over pricing, to what are called uh, the, the PSO services. So, that's basically where taxpayers' money is used to subvent the cost of running these services. But, basically, I discovered a situation in Yall uh, uh, along the, the the N25 route towards Cork, where i feel that bus aaron are taking advantage of of people in my constituency they're actually charging 19 euros for a return adult ticket um from yall to go to to cork city and you know it's it's a county wide problem in cork it's not just specif- specifically here in east cork or cork east where or i'm running as a general election candidate but it, it it it's throughout the county um so i've been working quite hard on, on, on getting bus aaron to 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 come clean on this effectively and because I because the,
2: the, what people will find amazing is that figure of 19 euro from you all. If you get on the bus at you that's what you'll hand over, 19 uh, euro. And it's a 48 kilometre journey. But if you got on the bus in Dungarvan, which is 75 kilometres away from Cork City, you'd only pay 9.50. So that, half that, of what you've paid for a exactly. shorter journey. And, that, and and I know it's because of the, as you say, it's the PSO, there's a the levy on it. But that really frustrates and annoys people when, when they see and hear those figures.
5: It, it really does and, and both they are claiming that that is the promotional service and you know there's a, a lot of people uh, locally they're, they're very very annoyed by, by, by that and that, 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 that's their excuse so Look, what I've done in order to progress this, so I brought it up firstly at a municipal district meeting of the local councillors in our area, and both their officials were actually in attendance attendance at that meeting. And they actually came into the meeting to address these questions, and they put the entire blame uh, onto the National Transport Authority, which they claimed had responsibility for setting prices on the PSO service. But we must remember here what we're dealing with is actually a commercial service that services areas in in, in Cork County. And we basically have a blame game of passing the book as to who is responsible for this. So I took, it, I took it upon my own initiative to go to Leinster House to speak to one of the members of the Public Accounts Committee, which is uh, Mark McSherry TD. At a meeting with Mark, I explained to him the situation, what was going on, and questions were then put to the actual CEO of the National Transport Authority Great. about this situation in Cork. And their uh, excuse was that it's actually both Aaron's fault. So we have we've, we've the situation where nobody's at fault. And so no, no, nobody wants to take
2: responsibility. And in the meantime, the good people of East Cork, and as you say, other areas, are paying more for their bus every day.
5: That's that's exactly right. And this morning we've seen interesting reports coming out that actually show that, that, that the vast majority of people in Cork, in terms of commuting to work, still use the private car. And, you know, throughout Cork County, in Mallow, for example, for a return ticket to go down to Cork, it nearly costs 13 euros at the return for an adult. For is 13. Mitchelltown 15. Yall, 19. Middleton, 12. It's just too much money in order to incentivize people to leave the car at home. That's really what I want to try and achieve in, my, my, in, 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 in whatever and, I and, the calendar is. And, and certainly
2: in East Cork, and in parts of North Cork as, as well, and indeed West Cork, we do have a huge amount of traffic congestion, particularly peak times, morning and evening. Do you really believe that more people would take the bus if the if the prices were more competitive?
5: If I was living in a town and I knew there was a reliable and affordable bus service outside the door that I could actually walk to every day and get take that as an option to go to work, I would utilise that service. I lived in Dublin for some time as a student in a university, and, you know, everybody takes public transport, especially the younger people. You know, the private car for a lot of people living in urban areas is, is something that they don't even consider as a means of getting to work. They only use it for when they're travelling around the country. And, you know, that is possible to achieve in towns. It can be done. It would not cost a lot of money. You know, we've seen a lot of money being put into infrastructural road projects in West and West Cork, which are very much needed. Um, But in terms of the the, the investment we're putting into our PSO services in order to bring down the cost of how much it does cost to travel on them and the capacity which is also a major issue, Patricia, and it actually hits off something you, said, you, you You mentioned there, that our bus services in the morning are full and in the evening. There's a lot of people in Killa, Castle Mart, or for example, outside of Middleton Town, that are ringing me, and they're saying to me that they actually cannot get on the bus in the oh. morning. Oh, when the bus gets them, it's full.
2: That's frustrating. We had a private uh, bus operator in West Cork. Uh, Dave Longtravel uh, joined us a couple of weeks ago. He's setting up the, the West Cork Connect, which is going to... Actually, I saw uh, on Facebook over the weekend, I saw the ad has gone up for the fares. Very reasonably priced uh, fares. Much cheaper, certainly, than bus air. Any chance of a similar service out of East Cork?
5: Something I'm really working on, I think it, it, it's, par- it's part of the solution. It's not entirely the solution. And the reason I would say that that is that bus air and they're paid by the taxpayer to provide these services. And we, we, we have a situation here, and particularly it's focused on, on the N25 route where the prices are extremely high and water commuters that are using the same bus services are actually paying far less. So for myself to address that first is is, is top priority. But definitely getting competitors to come into the market in areas that are not serviced by rail is something that certainly needs to be investigated and pushed more. There's obviously a lot of regulatory uh, problems around, around actually bringing in private operators. And I'm going to be doing absolutely everything I can in order to, to to work on that, I'm on the Transport Committee in Cork County Council. It's something I'm pushing at a council level, and it is very much part of the solution. Um, You know, and I think we're we're, we're all conscious of promoting the environment and promoting eco-friendly modes of transport. But you know, rural Ireland can play its part, but we actually have to put the the, 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 to put the the, the infrastructure in the place. The
2: services have to be in place. That's why I think it's great when you when you know when people say about and when you look at the CSO uh, figures that that you're quoting about the number of us have to commute to work and you look at Dublin and people are uh, not, not commuting are not using um, their own cars. They can afford to do it. They've got the Lewis, the Dart, they've got buses, they've got trains. You know, we don't have those services down here. There's lots of people, as you say, would love to get on the bus, but they simply can't. Okay, listen, James, keep in contact with us. And in the meantime, we leave it there. Thank you for that.
5: Thank you, Patricia.
2: And thanks uh, for joining us. That is Local Cork East Councillor James O'Connor. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, We will speak with Joe Heffernan. We're talking about how to build better self-esteem. And I'm looking for your cheesy jokes we have got a wonderful ch- cheese fondue night to give away at the Cosy Cafe on Church Square in Kinsale. You can text or WhatsApp in your cheesiest jokes, please 0862 103 103. Your jokes, please. We need to start hearing your jokes while texting or WhatsApping your cheesiest jokes. They can be about cheese, but they don't have to be about cheese. But I think people picked up on the cheese part because the prize is a cheese fondue night. It's the Cosy Cafe on Church Square Square in Kinsale. They have organised a number of cheese fondue nights that run between here and Christmas but they've set up a special fondue night for Sunday the 3rd of November and the only way you can get there is to win a prize on the programme. We're giving away another of these prizes today. The prize you win and then you get to bring four of your friends along to this special fondue night at the Cosy Cafe in Kinsale. So you need to be able to get your four friends together on Sunday the 3rd of November. Now we want you to text our WhatsApp in please your cheesiest joke. A joke obviously keep them short because if you're typing them all out you don't want to make them too long but a short snappy little joke something that has tickled your fancy something that has made you smile in the past as I say the winning one yesterday did have a reference uh, to cheese but it doesn't have to be about cheese but if you've got a cheese joke please share it with us but just your funniest joke cheesy jokes please get working on that and we'll leave the text and WhatsApp open on this for about 10-15 minutes and then we will select a winning joke and the winner will receive that lovely prize of heading along to the Special Fondue Night on Sunday the 3rd of November. It's at 7pm, by the way, for you plus four of your friends. Thank you to our good friends at the Cozy Cafe Church Square in Kinsale. And if you want to check out more about their Cheese Fondue Nights, you can do that by going to their website which is cozycafe.net. Cozycafe. Dot net Your jokes now please get them into us 1850 333103 In the meantime I'll catch up on some of your comments coming in on the programme We were talking with the wonderful Katrina Toomey and I should have to say thank you to everybody who took time out just to say really really nice things about Katrina She's so unassuming isn't she Do you know what I loved the way and this is typical of Katrina the way she spoke about Brother Kevin who's going to come down to see them and the fact that they would Father Peter McVerry there yesterday and speaking about you know, those two great men as if she shouldn't be spoken about in the same circles Katrina is up there with Brother Kevin and Father Peter McVary, and I know Brother Kevin and Father Peter would say the very same thing Katrina to me is the Cork version our father Peter and brother Kevin who just happened to work out of Dublin what they do in Dublin she does for us down here in Cork she is amazing and it was just lovely to see people taking time out while listening to the interview just to congratulate her and to wish her luck and sending out know, God bless and hope that she continues to do the work that she does. She's, she really is amazing. And in Cantor, the community hospital are doing a collection, somebody says, for Cork penny dinners. Thank you for that. OK, so if anybody is in the Cantor area, the community hospital are doing a collection for penny dinners. And she is there at the moment. She's just getting organised early. They are getting ready for Christmas because obviously Christmas is one of their busiest days. hard to believe that um Christmas Day Penny dinner has to open it, even though it always sounds like there's an amazing atmosphere in there. And it's lovely. It really is lovely that homeless people have somewhere festive, that feels so festive to go. But everybody that comes through their door, certainly on Christmas Day, she always sends them away with a little bit of a present. But they're now helping so many people and so many families that they're, you know, looking to put together I suppose, some Christmas hampers as well. But just presents. Do you know anything? Anything that would make you smile on Christmas Day will make a homeless person or somebody living in emergency uh, accommodation that will make them uh, happy if you can give or donate in any way. I do think Cork Penny Dinners are a very very worthy charity indeed. If you can help them please do. Now on other issues that we were talking about today we mentioned the mine the sinkhole in Allohys that was caused because of a, a mine that uh, collapsed. And I read out, I actually started the programme with this because it was just before I came on air. We got a press statement from Cork County Council about the sinkhole, you know, and they're basically warning people to keep away away from it, stay beyond the safety barriers because nobody knows what's going on underground and they're just fearful that that sinkhole could get even larger. But in the press statement They do say that they are endeavouring to try to find out the owner of the mine. They're trying to get the contact information with the owner of the mine. Well, that's prompted a text in from somebody saying, Patricia, regarding the collapsed mining situation, isn't the mining industry controlled by by the county council or by the Irish government? Surely they control the mining. So why are our council seeking the landowner? Is it the same as always? Are they just trying to pass the buck instead of taking their duty and repairing the damage? Mm, yeah, that got me thinking. Now, I don't know if you've seen a picture of the the sinkhole. Most of it is on someone else's land. It's just it juts out part of the road. I mean, that's what I think got everybody talking at the weekend was the fact that part of the road has fallen into the sinkhole and we were just very lucky. We were just coming close to a bend. We were just very lucky there wasn't a car or a bicycle or somebody out walking when it actually collapsed. So the fact that part of it's on the road, you would assume is, is council's responsibility. But the fact that the bulk of the sinkhole is on somebody's land, I'm, I'm assuming that's what they're... They're endeavouring to find out, even though it's said in the statement they're trying to find out, they're endeavouring to find out who owns the mine the collapsed mine but is it is it is that the landowner do you own I mean if you own land don't you own what's underneath as well I don't know anyway they're, they're promising to keep us updated because they've also got on to the Department of the Environment and their mining and their exploration and mining division because they want them to undertake a survey of the area just to find out the extent of undermining and the potential risk of further collapse and they promise that if they get any further information they will get it out to us so we will keep a close eye on it. It, okay and bring it to you if anything else breaks but yeah it's a, it's. <laughs> should it just be the council move in and sort sort it out at the moment it's all blocked up anyway there's, there's nobody travelling on that road that is for sure on that port thank you for your your text by the way 1850 333 103 0862 103 103 Hi Patricia, oh this is on Father, just one more, Father Peter McVeary. Uh, you mentioned earlier why are people not listening to Father Peter MacVery? Uh, common sense is not there anymore. Lies are a better story, says John in Clown of Kilty, but I'm uh, whatever about the lies. Assuming people should be listening to Father Peter Mcvery, And then Tim is commenting on... That poor pony that we mentioned, somebody had said, had I seen it and I couldn't look at the pictures. But yeah, it was horrific in, in somewhere in the city, wasn't it? It was beaten so badly that the vet just said this this animal is just in agony and it's just put it out of its misery. There was no coming back for this poor pony. God help him. What a dreadful, dreadful death um, the poor guy had. Uh, Tim said, I'm not surprising to see and hear what happened to that uh, pony they do it to humans too," says uh, Tim. And Jim and Balan colleague says Patricia at the on the pony. The way some people treat animals does not surprise me when you consider the way that that homeless man who died, who was killed, was treated, and when these people are caught. They should be publicly flogged on Dawn Square every Saturday at midday. And everyone could go out and watch. But unfortunately, you'll have the do gooders out saying, ah, they came from broken homes, disadvantaged areas. They had a bad upbringing. Should God help them? What a load of rubbish, says Jim from Which ties, Thank you, Jim, which ties in with something that we're hoping to do tomorrow. And it's that whole issue of parental responsibility when young people, people under the age, age of 18, Break the law. Now, I'm not in any way saying that this pony was beaten by young people. I have no way of knowing who is involved there. But when young people get involved, young lads, 12, 13, 14 year olds, and we're coming into Halloween, and it has a tendency to be a time when antisocial behaviour by young people, they're on their holidays from school, they're on their Halloween break. And they get up to all kinds of mischief and they think it's a bit of fun and they're throwing eggs. And there's we had already reports of some people, you know, firing stones and eggs at cars from bridges, you know, from a height from the bridge down. Crazy, stupid things to do. And then other types of antisocial behaviour. And a call, yet again, we've, and whenever we, we discuss those, you know, you will inevitably get a text or a call in from somebody saying, Where's, where's the mother and father of those particular children? You know, why are they? Why do they not know what their young people are up are up to? So we're going to hear a call t- tomorrow to legislate for that, for parental responsibility. That if you're twelve, 12, anyone under the under the age of eighteen is caught repeatedly. I don't. I mean, you know, I think everybody deserves to get a break if somebody does a one off stupid thing. You don't think get a break? I understand that, but if somebody is repeatedly. Causing antisocial behaviour, and they're not listening. And you know they guard the guards here are doing the best that they can with warnings and all of that, and none of that is working. Do the parents then have to step up to the mark? Do you then go and say, "Oi"? You know what your son and daughter are getting up to. You're not doing anything about it. Is it then time to hold them responsible? So we're going to talk about that tomorrow and I will very much welcome your thoughts and comments on that. As I say, that will be coming your way tomorrow. Eighteen fifty three 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 one o three. Bernie is taking your calls. I mean, look at some of the calls that have come in to Bernie already this morning. James in Brewery says we are voting in the wrong politicians. We will never get anything done about homelessness when the politicians won't even listen. Father Peter MacVery, this is what I said earlier, yes, should be in charge of housing. Building houses would be much cheaper than using emergency accommodation. And it's when you look at the amount of money that goes into emergency accommodation, you think of all of the hotels and the B&Bs that are booked out. Hotel accommodation does not come cheaply. And you have entire families inside in hotel accommodation. All over the country, 10,000 people. So that's 10,000 bed nights every single night. I I mean, how many houses would that actually build? 1850 333103 Marion in Clonakilty says congratulations to Trish and thank you for the interview with uh, Katrina Penny Dinners um, it was an excellent piece thank you she also says it would be interesting to hear Joe Heffernan's take on the Meghan Markle and Prince Harry affair under stress when in the public eye so much okay thank you I'll hold that and give it to, to Joe uh, a little bit he'll be joining us in a few minutes thank you for that and Nora in was on she wants to know does anybody out there know of a charity collecting bottle tops and tops from jam jars? Anybody know tops from jam jars or bottle tops? These are the twist on bottle tops, um, I'm I'm assuming somebody, Nora in Mitchellstown is collecting and the jam jar tops. Anybody? She's obviously been collecting them. Does anybody know of any charity or anyone that would need them rather than just throwing them into the bin. Nora wants to put them to good use. If you can help us, we have Nora's contact details. And a your greyhound fawn-coloured is missing from the Gouls Hill area of Mallow. She ran away all fireworks. No collar, but she is chipped. The same dog ran away last year and it was we here at C103 found her. So let's do another alert. And yes, we are back to I heard them only last night. I heard fireworks going off and I live with somebody in my house who has a nervous disposition and she nearly jumped out of her skin it can be very frightening when you're sitting there and suddenly oh big bang so people t- and again it's this time of year and we're going to have it now for the rest of this week we'll have it all across next week in the lead up to Halloween and then there's normally a day or two after it until they've got all of the fireworks gone bearing in mind that fireworks are illegal in this country so if any children are up messing with fireworks be careful be careful because you really do because they're illegal in this country you don't know what you were dealing with so alert your greyhound fawn coloured missing from the Goulds Hill uh, area if anybody spots that dog in your travels You give us the buzz here at C103 and we will pass on the details to the owner of that dog. 1850-333-103. Bernie is taking your calls, text or WhatsApp, particularly your cheesy jokes, if you want to win a cheese fondue night. 0862-103-103. Text in your jokes, please.
1: You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed.
0: Court today on Scene
2: 103
0: Call Patricia with your comment 1850 333
2: 103 And actually I spotted this story earlier it's making a lot of the papers and I'm just seen a WhatsApp in from uh, James said he cannot believe that there's a family in England who are about to have their 22nd child is that story for real or is it a joke it's not it's a true story <laughs> it's a true story it's a lady by the name of Sue Radford she's pregnant with her 22nd child she's 44 her husband is 48 and they were on YouTube I, I don't don't know whether they do a lot of stuff on YouTube. I know they they were on TV quite a lot at one stage where they they were in one of those programmes, 15 and counting. They featured, that was obviously when they had 15 children. They now have 21 and number 22 is on the way. They live in Morecambe in Lancashire. Their last child was born in 2018 and at that stage that was number 21. They said that was it, they weren't going to have any more but they went on YouTube over the weekend, uh, Mrs Radford did, to say, guess what guys, we is having a baby and we're having baby number 22. She's coming up to 15 weeks pregnant and they've yet to find out what the gender of the child is yet. The baby's due in April, but they're hoping it'll be a little boy because if it is, that will give them 11 of each. They have 11 girls at the moment and 10 boys. So mum is feeling like it's a little bit it's, it feels a little bit like a baby boy, but she doesn't know for sure uh, yet. They get one hundred and seventy in child benefit. It's one hundred seventy pounds. That's the children's allowance. Um, he has dad has a bakery business and they live in a 10-bedroomed house. I'm sure they do. Now, he actually had a vasectomy when the couple were expecting their ninth child, but then for some reason he decided to get it reversed because they wanted more children and they're now about to have their 22nd. So do you want the ages and names? I'm sure you do. The youngest baby is, that was born last November, that's Bonnie Ray. Let's go from the top down. Chris is 30. Sophia is 25. Chloe, 23. Jack, 22. Daniel, 20. Luke, 18. Millie, 17. Katie, 20. 16, James 15, Ella 14, Amy 13, Josh 12, Max 11, Tilly 9, Oscar 7, Casper 6, Haley 3, Phoebe 2, and Archie 18 months. And then Bonnie Way was coming up to, Bonnie Way's coming to her first birthday. And then the next, the last baby. <laughs> Will it be the last baby? You don't know. Baby number 22 is going to be born next April, all bar the oldest two. Chris, who's thirty, and Sophie is twenty-five. All still live at home. Actually, Sophie, you know about Chris. Sophie is all is already. T- is she married or she's in a relationship? She's got three children of her own already. So the parents are already grandparents. And I was reading a piece online about. I mean, three hundred and fifty pounds a week just on food. Um, she spends three hours tidying up every night just to keep the house in check, and she goes through you know amazing things. About like the like eighteen kgs of clothes are washed every single day, and they shot. They first shot to fame in two thousand and eight when it emerged at that stage that the baker and his wife were set to have a baker's dozen. They were going for number thirteen, but they just they obviously love children they absolutely love children and you know they're I mean I imagine they live in a very tight budget but he has a little business and the business seems to be keeping the family going and they use their children's allowance and you know she she admits that they use discount codes as much as possible to buy stuff but what's really interesting because they're so young some of you know I think what's catching James and James's shock and horror is the fact that this woman is having her 22nd baby she's 44 and Dad is 48, thinking, oh my gosh, so if you do the maths, she was actually 14 and he would have been 18 when baby number one was born. So it was like a teenage pre- pregnancy. But what's interesting is both the parents had been adopted themselves I don't know if that's got anything to do with wanting to have a great big family themselves or not I don't know but they if you see them online or if you've seen them on TV they look incredibly happy what it is like to live in a house with that many people I don't know but yes the story is true it isn't a made up story baby number 22 is on the way and is due next uh, April 185333103. Okay, I have got to make our selection of our winner of our cheesy joke. And again, people are going with the cheese jokes again. And our winner today, I did a random selection, I decided to <laughs> go <laughs> They're all pretty good. So I've done a random selection and the there was there's one joke actually that's proving quite popular. It's come in by a number of people to say, did you hear about the explosion at the cheese factory? There was debris everywhere. A lot of people are picking up on that one. But that's not. Today's winner is Michelle Crane in Bandon and her joke is, what music do cheese lovers listen to? What music do cheese lovers listen to? Of course it's Brie. So well done, Michelle Crane in Bandon. You have one for yourself. You and four of your friends will be heading to the Cosy Cafe Church Square in Kinsale for a special fondue night on Sunday, Sunday the 3rd of November. We hope you have a lovely, lovely night. We have another table to give away tomorrow, Wednesday. We'll look for more of your jokes tomorrow please. So work on those throughout the day and similar to today we'll open the text and the WhatsApp and give you a chance to win. It's thanks to the Cosy Cafe on Church Square in Kinsale. If you'd like to find out more about their cheese fondue nights, there's one on the 27th of October which is this coming Sunday night and then there's one on the 10th of November 24th of November and the 1st, 8th and 15th of December. December. You can check it all out on their website. Their website is net. Let's take a break and we're back chatting with Joe Heffernan.
0: Record today on
2: Scene 103.
0: Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086
2: 103, 103 And Joe Heffernan joins us. Uh, good afternoon to you Joe. Good afternoon Patricia. And We're going to talk about self-esteem but before yes. we get to that just a couple of things I want to mention. Firstly an email that we I got in following last week's show And I promised I'd mention it again. And it was just a quick message to say how much we enjoyed and benefited from your councillor, Joe Heffernan, on the programme this morning. My mother, Rose, was feeling down in the dumps and the weather was terrible. And there had been that awful news of that poor homeless man who'd been killed in Cork City. Joe was excellent. He's such a kind voice. He lifted her spirits. Wasn't that really nice? It's
6: lovely. And And thank you so much for sending that in.
2: And that was from Rose and the family down in Cove. And I love when people take time out. You know, we, we can you, all Rose. say that someone's good, and it's just nice when somebody takes time out. So thank you, Rose, uh, Absolutely. for that. Now, you want to give a quick mention to Alice Taylor? Yeah.
6: Um, uh, I, I kind of garbled a mention last week of that book. It's a gorgeous book. It's called And We'll All Go Together. It um, was launched by Alice Taylor in Brook in Rock Chapel. Um, the custodian of, of there, of course, is Jack Roach, Um uh, who um, I think is the custodian of many things, Schliev Lucre. Absolutely. So it was Alice Taylor that launched it. Uh, local poet John Tader, um he's from Nacotlareg, and um, the poems were um, excellent, entertaining, and sometimes hilarious. Also in the book, there's a photographer in Rock Chapel, um, uh, Neely Curtin, and some of the, well, all of really the photographs in the book are only, oh, I was gobsmacked with them. They're brilliant. They really are. And uh, the, the book is available, I think, in local shops, but it's also available on cocoonpress at com. That's cocoon as cocoon, cocoonpress, all one word at gmail.com. So, yeah, um, seeing as that I gabbled it a bit last week. Hold well on, you <laughs> did was, really well.
2: You uh, did yeah. really well. OK, and before we get to self-esteem, a listener was on who said she would be really interested in your comments and your take on Prince Harry and Meghan Markle and the stress they're under of being in the public eye. Now, I don't know if you would have seen the interview that they gave with the documentary they made in, in Africa.
6: I didn't but didn't. I do know that was it Harry had a a, a bit of a maybe well deserved rant about um the press and the treatment of Meghan. and I also saw a headline somewhere, was it today or yesterday, um that some days are good and some days are bad yeah. between, is it Harry and William, is
2: it? Yeah, his brother, yes. yeah. Because yes. he, but he really opened up speaking about his own mental health, coping with his mother's death. Um, and then even Meghan opened up about the pressure she's under, you know, as firstly as a pregnant when she was pregnant, now as a young, you know, a mother with a young baby and recently married and, you know, all that goes with that, without the scrutiny of... The media, the world media and the world media telling lies about them. But it was just it was Harry, I think, talking about his mother's death. I mean, what was he, nine? And he described it as a wound that festers and that it flares up every now and again. But it's always there. And he very openly said he's going for counselling. But it just shows that when something that traumatic happens to somebody so young, it can define them for the rest of their lives.
6: Well, it can most certainly affect them for the rest of their lives. And, of course, um, you had all that sort of negative publicity before the marriage about the um, the um, uh, family um, uh, situation with, with Meghan. But to come back, um, Harry is a person. He's a man. He's, um, he's a human being. He has all the feelings that all of the rest of us have. And um, bereavement, and especially... Um, bereavement in such a sudden, sudden traumatic as you said death of Diana um, or oh, that has to have been um, a woeful blow for a little lad of nine trying to understand all this and whatever about the trappings of power and wealth and all of that he was still a nine year old little boy mm. and his man was killed uh, in that awful crash in uh, in Paris um um, bound to have an enormous effect, um, and then uh,
2: the and, and he scrutiny. blames and he blames the media, and he still blames the media. And he said every time you know when he walks out somewhere and he hears the cameras, you know, the click, 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 and the lights flashing, it just he makes him think of his mother and what she went through.
6: Well, there you are. You see, trauma has triggers, yeah. and um, the the three things uh, that come from um, uh, in in post traumatic stress would be um, avoidance, intrusion, and hypervigilance. Now, um, uh, avoidance would be, well, we'd be very kind of specific in this case, trying to avoid that kind of click-click with the cameras and the press all the time. Um, intrusion, there you have it, there, they, this intrudes on his life, and therefore it triggers the old trauma. So,
2: Uh, And it also explains why he is so protective of his wife. He saw what his mother went through. He felt it's the reason his mother was taken from him and he is hell bent on protecting the new woman in his life, now his wife. And that's very understandable. But they must be under, as a young married couple, you know, they're, they're not married that long. Mm. It's incredible pressure, isn't it, to put them under? They've now decided to take six weeks out. They're bowing out of royal duties. They're actually going to the States. They're just getting the hell out of there, away from the scrutiny just to spend time on their own, which I think is a good move, isn't it?
6: Uh, brilliant. Um, and one would have recommended that very much. Now, the thing is, I hope they can that... Um because uh, you know a secret location, um, can one in this world nowadays? Can you keep anything um, uh, when it's such prominent people? Can it be kept um, uh, private? One would worry about that, wonder about that, anyway. And um,
2: yeah, but I don't think the American tabloids are as bad, and the American paparazzi are not as bad as the as the English. For Fair some enough. Reason. So hopefully. Fair okay. enough. Anyway, sorry. I and died. isn't it a great
6: thing about Ireland? That people of great fame and uh, and uh, very, very highly profiled people can come to Ireland and, you know, they're more or less allowed
2: they're left alone.
6: They're left alone yeah. and uh, people aren't uh, running after them and hordes of cameramen, which I think is
2: wonderful. That's great. And long may that continue. Yeah. OK, today we are talking about self-esteem because we haven't dealt with uh, self-esteem in quite some time. And it came up actually at the end of last week. So yeah. there are five building blocks to self-esteem. Yeah.
6: No, we might not get through all five. No. But we, we'll, we there's always next week we'll get through some of them. Um Right. The five building blocks, briefly, are a sense of security, identity, belonging, purpose, and competence. So, um, they're they're your basic building blocks. And um, to repeat, a sense of security, identity, belonging, purpose, and competence. Okay. So we'll so go
2: we'll go down through each one. Yeah. Okay, starting with security. security. Now, what do we mean by this? Right,
6: and a lot of people know when we talk about security would be imagining lads at the door of the nightclub and um, uh, bouncer. CCTV and all that. Yeah. But no, we're not, we're not referring to that now here with, the, with our word security. We're talking about, were my personal rights respected? Um, in other words, like, did I feel safe and secure In my childhood, Um, what was I communicated with and and listened to? Um, You know, that old thing we used to hear, children should be seen and not heard. Um, And, of course, it doesn't work. Um, That when a child gets to the stage where they can, you know, uh, logically put together a sentence, um, uh, that they would be listened to, that it wouldn't be... um, dismissed as, uh, for God's sake, like he's eight, or he's nine, or he's ten, or something like that. Um, no, that a person, that a, a person, a child, a person, would be listened to and communicated with. Uh, um, uh, now that you mention um, uh, the, the the thing there about, about um, uh, Harry and the death of his mother and all that, um, it used to be the way, I think... Um, uh re- the The regular received wisdom was the children wouldn't go to say a granny's funeral and all that and and uh, i i I think the, um that that has changed, and that you know a death has taken place and that the child would be communicated. Well, uh,
2: yeah any any child psychologist um says that you have to yep. them at, the, at the forefront actually somebody says my mother died very suddenly forty seven years ago it still upsets me and i 'm seventy six years of age. So yeah. there's never a right time to to to, to lose a parent there uh, that, that's for sure there, okay
6: and and you often hear about Asher. Oh, sure, she was a great age and things like that, but whether a person was fifty or ninety, um they're still missed yeah. and uh, yeah
2: yeah okay so so what you listened to
6: yeah, and then well, there are clear and fair rules. And I would also say, you know, rules that one was included in the making of those rules. Um, uh, in other words, like, that there were mixed messages, that um, that something that was uh, wrong on Tuesday was okay on Wednesday, because that's just confusing. And the child doesn't feel secure when there's confusion and doubt. So, like... Um, you know, if there was a certain rule, we'll say no screen time after eight o'clock. Um, well, then that would be discussed and clear and fair for everyone.
2: And you stick to that.
6: And you stick to that, then, um, yeah. Uh, because, as I say, mixed messages are very, very confusing and the child doesn't know whether he or she is going or coming if what's banned on Tuesday is grand on uh, Wednesday that, that that that's not good
2: that's why you know a child will learn very quickly if i keep on nagging sure mommy gave in the last time if i keep this up she might give in again exactly that's why no i'm all, no means no it's a hard one to stick to but it's, it's
6: it's very, very difficult. I often told, I didn't often, but I told a story about our twins um, way, way, way back when um, there was a, a disco in Cullen. And uh, I forget now what it was they did wrong, but they were told that the sanction was there's no disco on Friday night. Okay. And um, God, they were like angels for the, we'll say now, I'm, I'm guessing, but we'll say that was Monday. And they were like angels on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Um, Oh, can I do this? Can I help out with that? It was wonderful. So then it came to Friday, and can we go to the Discord tonight now? And the answer was no, lads. Um, That was decided on Monday. And sorry about that. So, of course, all all the jobs were left (laughs) undone then. And uh, there was a frost. That was um, bad news for the weekend. But, like, yeah. The The sanction was there and and, and was there to stay. And um, I suppose it, it was a big deal for the lads. But um, anyway, there was no discord that's right I mean, I? you
2: can even see it sometimes, you know, when you're at supermarkets and a child is, you know, I want, I want, I want, I want, I want, I want, I want. And you'll see some parents will really stick to their guns. But you can see some parents are just getting worn down.
6: Yeah. Draw and the, the eyes up yeah. and... The and then, thing. oh yeah.
2: God's sake put it in the trolley yeah. and then you if you look at the child there'll be a little smirk and, thank you mummy oh, and you know yeah. well the child that's yeah. a great you know we'll try that one again uh-huh. okay so um, was I supported more than criticised absolutely th- this is one I think that often comes up when when, when we discuss this yes. with people who went to school in a different era where yeah. there wasn't as nice teachers as they're around today yeah and some will talk I mean I would have over the years talking to people in their 50s 60s, sixties, seventies who can still remember a cutting remark from a nun or a teacher or a put down. A it criticism. Comes up
6: all the yeah. time. Um, uh I, not that I would name names of course like but I mean uh, certain teachers um I would I they would come up in, in my office um, and uh, the person speaking with me might be we'll pick a number fifty. And they're talking about when they were in the national school and they remembered the day that such a thing was said and um, they can quote it and uh, it still affects them. They're still angry, confused and upset by it. So words do matter. And it's so important that a child would feel more supported than criticised. Um and of course uh, as well as teachers, that goes for parents that parents would um be supportive uh, much more so than critical now, I suppose there are times like the thing I mentioned a while ago, there are times you've to kind of uh, uh you know be um consistent and say um no um uh, you're you're not uh, the disco is out tonight, but the thing about it is that wouldn't be in a critical uh, way, it wouldn't be um,
2: There's uh, a reason for it
6: uh, Yeah, and and, and it wouldn't be uh, accompanied by any kind of uh, derogative remark but um, yeah, parents can um, at times um, and some parents um, can be quite unsupportive and critical and of course that sticks that sticks big time and then the person feels more of i sure i can't do this and i can't do that and i can't do the other thing when in fact they can and if they were supported in their um, ambitions and um, uh, and that's why
2: one of them is what you know one of the questions you ask yourself was i supported when i did well you know it is important that you point out when somebody is doing well rather than always hearing when somebody's doing wrong
6: absolutely Absolutely. Um, there was an Irish saying, "Mul an oige agus Um and it was like praise the the child, and the child will blossom. Yeah. Um, and th- that other one is very important. Did I feel trusted? It's so important whether we are adults or children, uh, but especially in our formative years, that we feel trusted. And, of course, it can be wonderful for a child. It might be just to um, collect something at the local supermarket, but the child feels six foot tall because he's trusted to go and do this uh, job. And, um, and wow, um, that's wonderful and great for his sense of security.
2: So when when you're looking at this building block of... Um, self-esteem quality, security you're asking yourself those questions as an adult looking back on your childhood
6: absolutely Okay. did I feel trusted was I praised when I did well were there clear and fair rules all of those yeah,
2: yeah. and if you're saying no I wasn't I didn't feel secure I didn't I was always criticised it's to acknowledge it
6: to acknowledge it maybe to talk about it with a trusted person and to um uh, to reframe it, um, and I suppose approval, the best approval comes from within rather than without. So you'd often hear about a person parenting their own child. Now, by that I mean parenting oneself when they were a child. Um, uh, there's a lot of work done on that, um John Bradshaw. John Bradshaw. John Bradshaw. It it slipped my mind there for a second. Um, I'm getting that bit old, I suppose. (laughs) Uh, John Bradshaw, um, on, uh, you know, working with one's child. In in other words, your your
2: inner child, and the inner child is in us all.
6: Absolutely. Absolutely.
2: Yeah. 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 That's why, and that'll bring us nicely back to where we started with Prince Harry. That was the one thing I felt watching him on that documentary. The inner child, that little nine-year-old boy was coming to the surface when he was talking about his mother. Absolutely. And that Patricia. little nine-year-old boy will always be there.
6: Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, 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 well
2: observed, yeah. OK, all right. So um, we, we'll continue with this. We'll go through the, the various building blocks. And also actually when you were talking, what was going through my head, uh, because, of, because of various things we've been talking about today on the programme, particularly having Katrina Toomey on and I was talking about Father Peter McVery, the young children today that have been raised in B&Bs and the homeless children, and they've been pulled from one B&B to a, a hotel. My God, their self-esteem must be getting some kind of a bashing.
6: Absolutely horrendous, I mean, I saw the photograph of the child having his food um, on the pavement the piece of cardboard and, a cardboard. Yeah. and uh, i I read of a man who said that they had been in i couldn't believe it nine b and bs last christmas- last christmas
2: just over that holiday period my god i know. I, I mean uh, yeah oh it's it's
6: it, it's uh, it's only. It's hard to take it in. It is. It, it is. As
2: somebody said, used the word earlier, it's outrageous. It's outrageous in, in 2019 in a relatively affluent country that those, yeah. th- those stories are going on under our noses. Absolutely. Okay. We could rant all day and mm. we w- it won't get us anywhere, but it's good to rant. Listen, Joe, mm. pleasure as always. Have a good week and we'll chat next Tuesday. And the same.: Thanks for that. Yep. That is uh, Joe Heffernan, who runs a counseling practice in Bojaui. His number is 02976617. And we'll continue this over the next number of weeks, um, trying to do a bit we can all work, I think, on our own uh, self-esteem. But that's where I wrap it up for today. Thanks to Bernie Murphy, who produced. We're back with you tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock, and I'll talk to you uh, then. I'm Patricia Messenger.